Welcome to the 14th episode of Touring the Multiverse. This is the first limited series of the It's a Mimic podcast where I, Dave, lead you... And Adam. ...on a tour of one of the published campaign settings for Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. Over the chorus of this series on Eberron, I'll be breaking down history, lore, settings, populaces, adventures, and player options. Will I give some quick insights into the unique monster stats that Wizards of the Coast... No, I'm not doing that this episode. Well... Regardless, today we're going to cover player options, so climb aboard the lightning rail and join me as we look into the steampunky world of high adventure as presented in Eberron Rising from the Last War. Today, we're doing player options. Yes. Things that a player can use for their characters, not just world building like we have in the past. Yeah, they're going to want to know the lore. If you end up, you know, being a part of a Dragonmark house, you need to know about the Dragonmark house. Yeah, we did the first episode was, uh, you know, kind of the world where we're at, how we got here. And then we jumped into four episodes on the nations of Corvair, which is the one continent, right? Yep. Uh, and then we, we did the other areas, the distant places. Yeah, I think the continents yeah. and whatnot. And Followed it up with three episodes on dragon marks. What are they? And then two on the houses. Uh, yep. Yeah. And then we did... Then we did Faiths and Organizations, followed by Planes, and we rounded it out with Sharn. Which got two episodes. Uh, those are all really going to set the stage for you, but today we're going to do things that affect the players. And I want to start off with the one thing that I was absolutely thrilled to find, uh, and that is the new class that came out with Eberron, the Artificer. It's the first new class since the player handbook, right? So there were 12 and there has been 12 the entire time. This is the 13th. And it still is the only other one, isn't it? Yeah, at this point it's like the aberrant dragon mark. Yeah, <laughs> it's the aberrant player class. Exactly. Uh, so an artificer is, is kind of a strange take on a magic user. They see magic as kind of a complex system that can be controlled and decoded. It's like a science to them. They can take mundane items and infuse it with magical properties, then use those mundane items to cast magical properties? Well, yeah, they, they fill the item essentially with magic and then shoot the magic out of the item. Wands is like the perfect thing that comes to mind for yeah, me. Yeah, or writing down a spell in a scroll that has one use. You cast the magic and the ink disappears and the scroll can't be used anymore. Sure, but that isn't necessarily the only way that they can, they can do it. It's not necessarily just imbuing it in mundane items. They also have their tools. All right, and they can actually use their tools when the tools are in their hand. They can use these to cast as well. They don't need to have imbued the wand with picking something fireball. They can use the tools and cast fireball with the tool in their hand. Yes? Yeah, so they can use their hammer or... I almost said sickle, their screwdriver, whatever it is, their wrench, and they can use it essentially as a wand to cast the spells that they have access to, the spells yeah, that they know. Right, and at second level, that's when they start doing the infusions. That's when yes. they can start putting this stuff into... Yeah. Right, and they get a certain amount of infusions based on their level and so For on. For those of you who don't know what infusions are... Uh, an infusion is the spell that they put into the mundane item. Yeah, so the infusion is the item and, and the spell that, like, this is their magical shit. The thing that they created that's magic. Yeah, and they can only do that with particular spells that they know. That's right. Right? So they can't just do it for anything. Uh, now, there are three subclasses of Artificer, mm-hmm. which you're going to choose at third level. So the first two are just kind of set the stage up and then you get into it. That's pretty standard, common. That's standard for most of the classes. Not all of them, but most of them. Right. So uh, the three of them are the Alchemist, which is essentially you're using chemicals 
mixing chemicals to make magical effects. Even yep. yeah, potentially. That's a great thought. You should start a podcast. You know what? Maybe I will. It's a great idea. Maybe I will. <laughs> uh, the other one, or the next one, I should say, the second one, uh, is the artillerist. And they use magic to basically throw projectiles and energy and make stuff explode. Uh, yeah, they get a little bit more than that. They get a freaking cannon that walks around with them, a little tripod-looking thing that shoots. It's like a mechanical pet that essentially shoots um, artillery blasts around the battle map. Yeah, they're, they're pretty neat. Like, yeah. If I was going to play an artificer, it would probably be an artillerist. Uh, but the third one is called the Battlesmith, and they're pretty much just like the protector and the medic on the battlefield. They're the closest thing to, I guess, a paladin, right? So yeah. So they're, they're more on that side of things, whereas the, the alchemist feels like, um, well, the alchemist feels unique. There's not a whole lot out there that's like quite like the alchemist, but the artillerist just feels like one of these area of effects blasters that you get as far as your you know sorcerers and your wizards go they're they're blowing shit up but the battlesmith does feel almost divine side of things they're healing they're defending they're protecting they also get a uh, a little companion called a was it a steel defender i think it is it's essentially just a guard dog that can protect him while he's healing kind of thing that's right uh, the alchemist although, although to be fair the art is of a dog, but it doesn't have to be a dog. It can be any animal that's of that size. True. So there's a bunch more on artificers, but there was so much to cover. I just wanted to do a brief overview of them in this episode. There is a full episode on artificers in the main podcast. If you want to learn more, check that out. It's episode 56, I believe. I will say this. It is the only other intelligence-based class besides the wizard. Most casters are either charisma. Most of them are charisma. There are a couple that are wisdom, and it was only just wizards that was intelligence. Now it's artificers as well. So it gives you another set of options there for, for what you can do. Uh, next, I wanted to jump into the different races, because there is a bunch of different races and new things, things we've seen before and different takes on what we already got. Sure. Right? Uh, the first one I was going to start with today was changelings. You're familiar with them? Uh, only from Deep Space Nine. Similar, yeah. but not. Yeah, they're not they're, liquid. They're not liquid, no. Yeah. Uh, but they can change their form just on a whim, without a thought. Uh, they, You're going to find them pretty much anywhere you're going to find humans. Uh, but they also do live in uh, nomadic clans that just kind of roam around as well. They're persecuted, right? Like, these guys are little edgelords. A lot of people don't like them. And a lot of changelings don't like what they call single-skinned people. Obviously, the nature of them tends to make people a little weary on what their motives are. And yeah, can we really trust you if you can change your face and, and blend in and disappear? Exactly. Sure. Uh, they worship a god who's known as the Traveler. He was one of the Dark Six. Yeah. As far as their appearance, they have pale skin, they have colorless eyes, and they have silvery white hair, right? They're like a blank slate. They're a blank canvas. That's what they are, right? Pretty much. Uh, they can create and live as multiple personas. In fact, they will have um, different roles, that like favorite roles that they play. Uh, and these different personas can actually be passed on to different changelings. Like, for instance, if you have a, a storekeeper that, you know, say so you got, oh, geez, maybe Jed. Maybe Jed's a changeling because he's always kind of around and sometimes he's a little different. He could be multiple changelings. You think so? Uh... I think he's just an idiot. I think he is just an idiot. I think you're right. But anyway, anyways, changelings. Uh, they can 
kind of pass these personas back and forth between each other. And for some of the more famous ones, they can actually pass them down through the family line. This is where you may find that there's been this person that's been around for X amount of years that seems unnaturally long. Maybe it's just a changeling that has passed this persona down through the line. Is there a limitation to who they can turn into? They have to have seen it. No, 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 but like they can't change their size, right? No, they have to stay medium. Uh, They have to... So you can trust gnomes and halflings and goblins. Are they small? Yeah. Then yes. Okay. Uh, The other thing it says about their changing is they have to keep the same configuration of limbs. Well, I mean, that's, that's important, right? Like you can't just... If you lose an arm... You don't get a new one? Yeah, but they can gain weight and height. They don't stay the same like that. The interesting thing there is that I don't think that you can get it. You just can't grow a tail, right? That's a limb. The When you look at the tiefling's tail, for example. However, the horns? Not a limb. Not a limb? I'd say yes. If they can change the length of their hair, why not be able to solidify horns? If they can change, you know, facial hair and length of eyelashes, fingernails. If they can grow... Half orc tusks. They should be able to grow tiefling horns. Yeah, if they can change the shape and size of their bones, yeah, they should be able to do it with horns. But not necessarily ASMR wings or no. aracocra. Sure, yeah, it makes sense to me. Uh, now, changelings get a plus two to charisma and plus one to any other ability stat. It is also very uncommon to find evil changelings. They tend to be just more neutral than anything. And the way that they change, the way that they change their form is as an action, they can change their form and voice. So it's not just, you know, they change physically, but they can also... Change their vocal cords, right? And so, absolutely. That makes makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. I also like the idea of them being neutral and having a neutral headspace because I feel like their ability to see things from different perspectives would matter, right? And that kind of gives them the neutral way way that they live. If I was going to play a changeling, it would be a moderate mediator... As opposed to an apathetic, disinterested character. Uh, it, it's funny. The big bad guy that I had in one of my old previous campaigns was a changeling. So I've used them quite a bit. And uh, it, it made it a lot of fun. Just for me as the DM, because my players were interacting with this guy left, right, and center. And they had no idea it was him. <laughs> and when it was, I would try to throw them a bone a little bit here and there. Like rearrange the letters in his name to make up a new name and stuff like they that. They never figured it out? Never, ever, ever. They're a little thick sometimes. So The players, not the changelings. Well, changelings could be thick. Yeah, they could be. The next race I wanted to go over was elves. Because elves are a little bit different in Eberron. You still get your traditional elves, your high elves, your wood elves, all that stuff. Uh, however, you're going to find them in not just their normal places, but in other places as well. And also with some changes. Uh, so for high elves, you're going to find them. They're going to be aristocratic. They're going to be... No, they're, they're filling the same role that they do in the Forgotten Realm. Yes. You're all, you're going to find them in the high society of Sharn and other places. Uh, however, these are pretty much going to be the elves of Aranol. That makes sense. Okay. Whereas your wood elves are going to be uh, the followers of the spirits of the past. So these are your Valinar elves? Yeah. But you're also going to find traditional wood elves up in the Eldine Reaches and stuff like that. So although they do exist in their traditional manner, they have an expanded role as well. I guess what I'm what I'm looking at there is the idea that wood elves exist as normal. If you want to be a Valinar elf, look to wood elf stat blocks to figure that out. Now the followers of the spirits of the past 
Okay, these elves, there is a special feat that they can take that's new, uh, and it's called Revenant Blade. Okay. Uh, Essentially, what they've done is they've introduced a double-bladed scimitar, and this feat pretty much allows you to do some extra funny stuff with it. Uh, For instance, you get to add plus one to your dex or strength uh, while you're using the double-bladed scimitar. You get plus one to your AC while you're holding the scimitar. Was Was it your strength mod or your strength score? Score. Okay. Uh, and uh, it turns your double-bladed scimitar into a finesse weapon when you are wielding it. Sure, so it doesn't matter if it's dex or strength, then. That's, sure. Yep, I like that. That's cool. Do we get anything on sea elves or ladron with with this? Uh, No, but we get drow. Of course. Okay, and... They're a little different because there is no underdark. They are. So, they were the servants to the giants. Uh, Elves originally, all of them, were servants to the giants, but the, the other elves, the Aranol uh, elves and the Valinar elves, they, they fucked off at some point, right? Yeah. But the drow stayed behind. They were there. They were the servants to the giants. Now, when the giants fell, they split into three main groups. There's the Volkori, which worship the scorpion god Volkor. Sure. And they just run around and hunt giants. Okay. There's the Solitar who are essentially just druids and wizards. Uh, They believe that they are destined to cleanse Eberron in a fiery apocalypse. Uh, And they live in obsidian cities all over Zendrick. Sure. Okay. And then there's the Umbragon. When the giant civilization fell, they fled underground. And that's where they still are. And they're down there fighting the Delkir and other aberrations. So they went down into Kyber. Not necessarily into Kyber, but you know how like... There's a level above Kyber. Technically underground. The dungeon level that's not Underdark. Yeah, you know how in the... You're going to make me say it. The Moorholds. Yep. The dwarves are fighting and dealing with the Delkir down there. Yeah. This is what's happening with the drow over on Zendrik. Sure. This particular sect of them. All right. So, sorry. I just want to rewind for a sec because you said the uh, Spirits of the Past, right? Yeah. If anybody's jumping ahead to check out the Player Options episode, go check out Faiths and Organizations. Right? That episode is where we cover the spirits of the past. Truth. So there's more information there about whether or not you like that if you want this feat and this special weapon. You're good. Any questions about them? Uh, no. The thing is that if you want to know more about Aranol or uh, Zendrik, go listen to the Distant Lands episode. After the elves, we've got our goblins. Sure. Okay. Now, the goblins are a playable race in Eberron. Good. As they should be. After the Dakani Empire fell, which again was the empire before humans go back to the very first episode, you'll yep. learn more about it there, uh, the goblins became slaves to the humans that kind of took over, right? Sure. When King Galifar I made Galifar, again, episode one, he abolished slavery, okay? The goblins are now free creatures. A goblin gets plus two to dex, plus one to constitution, they get dark vision up to 60 feet. They have disengage or hide as a bonus action on their turn. And if they are damaging a creature that is a size category larger than they are, you get to add your level to the damage. What's interesting here is that that has an overlap with the rogue, but the disengage and hide. Yep. Which means I'm actually discouraged from playing rogues. Even though thematically it fits, I'm doubling up and I'm not getting all the benefits that I would get if I chose something like monk or ranger or barbarian. For a goblin. So, as much as people like the sneaky little thiefy goblins, I wouldn't go that direction with the Eberron goblin. Yeah, because nothing really stacks or make, yeah, increases the bonus. It's redundant. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, after the goblins, we have... Hobgoblins. Hobgoblins. They are the leaders of the Galdar. 
Now, this we covered in one of the Nation episodes. The the Nation of Dargoon is ruled by a bunch of hobgoblins called the Galdar. Their current leader is Haruk, and he is the one that is uh, running Dargoon currently, okay? Yeah. Now, hobgoblins get a plus two to con, plus one to intelligence, dark vision of 60 feet. They are proficient with two martial weapons and light armor. And if you miss an attack or fail an ability check or saving throw, you can add plus one for each ally you can see within 30 feet. How often can you do this? Uh, once per long rest. Okay. Okay. The idea here is that hobgoblins don't like to lose face in front of their fr- their allies. So they're, this is kind of their making up for that. Yeah, I'm going to try even harder because everyone's watching me. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Uh, next we've got bugbears. They are a playable race here. There is a band of bugbears that kind of run around in the southern part of Dargoon called the Margul bugbears. Again, they're a self-governing band of bugbears. They are part of Dargoon. They aren't governed by, they kind of rejected it. However, they've made peace with the hobgoblins up there and they kind of coexist. Sure. You don't want to go into this area of Corvair unless you have a Margul guide with you, it will not end well. Because the bugbears will hunt you, or it's just dangerous in general? Uh, It's dangerous in general, but these bugbear bands, tribes, whatever you want to call them, will show up and fight you. They're territorial. They are. And if you've got a guide, you're more likely to make it through uh, if you do run into some, right? Now, the bugbears have a plus two to strength, plus one to dex, dark vision 60 feet. Now, one of the cool things, again, we don't get this very much in 5th edition, their melee attacks get an extra 5 feet of reach. They got really long arms. Uh, They are also treated as one size category larger for push, pull, dragging, and carrying capacity. And they're proficient in stealth. If you make a successful surprise attack, you get to add 2d6 damage, but you only get to do this once per combat. Okay, so of course you do because there is no surprise condition anymore there's no surprise round the way that surprise works in fifth edition for everyone it's like oh my god surprise so here it is if your enemy doesn't know you're there and you roll higher than them in initiative then you technically are surprising them and that's when you get this this bonus so the idea here is that you want high decks for these guys you want probably to go rogue the uh, improved initiative feat and all that stuff. So I mean, yeah, they're proficient in stealth as well. So like, it, it does that stacks. It lines up a little more. This is gonna line up really nicely with your assassins, who also get all sorts of crazy batshit damage that they can add as long as they are surprising their enemy at the beginning as well. And gloom stalkers get some stuff like that. Like, there's some cool stuff. Check out your rogues. This is where I go rogues with goblinoids. Yeah, that makes sense to me. All three of these: the goblins, hobgoblins, and bugbears. They do get common and goblin as a language as well. Sure. Uh, But, I mean, I'm not really going to deal with languages too much here today. Okay? Yeah. Uh, Now, the next one I wanted to deal with was the Kalashtar. Kalashtar? Kalashtar. Yeah. All right. We've spoken about these guys in most previous episodes. They come up quite often. Kalashtar are created through the unity of humans and quarry. Okay, the quarry come from Dalcor, which is another plane of existence, the dream realm, and they essentially have merged with humans to make this wise and spiritual creature. They do look human in appearance, however, when they really focus on something or when they have strong emotional reactions, their eyes can glow. Cool. Also, the the quarry that's linked with the character or with the human uh, can have that personality kind of come through a little bit. So, for instance, you might get a little more of a warrior 
um, vibe out of this Kalashtar or a philosopher out of this one based on the quarry that is in the, the person. So this is someone with literally a dream being inside them. Yes. And, are, and they are base human before this, this union? Yes. So they're from Sarlona, which is where the humans came from. Uh, there are still humans there, but the quarry messed with the humans. So this isn't like, like oh, my great-great-grandfather hooked up with the quarry and now here I am a descendant of... This is you specifically have, have let a dream person into your brain. They are essentially possessed. Cool. Okay. Uh, now, depending on which quarry you get inhabiting your human, you can get quirks from them. Sure. Okay, and there's a table here in the in the book where, I mean, the first one is you try to understand motives and feelings of your enemies. Uh, another one is you are strongly influenced by the emotions of those around you. And there's a few different little quirks that the quarry can have on your your character. That, that's fun. That's a neat aspect. Right. I have never seen this for the Kalashtar before, this idea that the quarry is affecting them. Not the way that docents affect uh, Warforged. True. Right? Yeah. So it's cool that we've got a couple of these dual-minded aspect um, races in Eberron. Yep. Uh, now, Kalashtar get a plus two to wisdom and a plus one to charisma. They get advantage on all wisdom saves. Period. Wow, that's big. Okay. They have resistance to psychic damage. What else has that? Not much. They can speak telepathically with creatures that are within 10 times their level of feet within them. That didn't make sense. So if I'm level 3, I would times that by 10. I can speak telepathically with creatures that are within 30 feet of me. Okay, so the number of feet equal 10 times your character level. Yes. Not your class level, your character level, because this is your race. Correct. So if you multi-class, it has no effect on this. So it's... 30 feet for round three, and it's 200 feet for, for level 20. Correct. Yeah. All right, cool. Now, you don't need to share a language with the creature in order to do this. As an action, they can speak back to you telepathically. However, they must be able to see you, and it can only be one creature at a time. This is not going to work on petrified creatures, because they can't see you. they can't see you. And they can't take actions. Yep. Yeah. Uh, no, no. As your action. As my action? As the Kalash Tar, you can spend an action to have them communicate with you telepathically. That's crazy. Okay, so that will work with paralyzed creatures. Yeah. But not petrified. Yeah, they have to be able to see you. Yeah. All right, the other cool feature about Kalash Tar is they do sleep, but they don't dream. Instead, they draw on their quarry spirit's memories. This makes it so that they are immune to sleep effects. Okay. All right. That's really all that it does. But you could, as a DM, inject a little bit of flavor about your quarry's memories while your while your player is long resting. Especially if there's some sort of draconic prophecy link that they may know about, or you're going to do planar travel or shit. Like there's... Yeah, you can use this to your advantage. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next up were orcs. When the Dakani Empire came into power, they scattered the orc tribes. And they pretty much ended up in uh, three areas on Corvair. The first one is the Demon Wastes. We talked about these guys a little bit in the episode where we covered the Demon Wastes. Yep. And this is the Gashkala tribes. They serve the Silver Flame. Yep. Uh, Which and you can hear about in the Faith and Organization episode. Yeah, and they keep, they're responsible for keeping the demons in the Demon Wastes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next are the orcs in the Ironroot Mountains, which we spoke about in the episode with the Marorholds. Uh, these, the Ironroot Mountains are pretty much the western border of the Marorholds. And this is where you're going to find your Jorashtar tribes. These guys do not like dwarves. 
Okay. Okay. The other thing is because they've been kind of sectioned off from the rest of Corvair, you don't find a lot of half-orcs here. Okay. Uh, and the last one is in the Shadow Marches. Uh, now here, the orcs learned magic from a dragon whose name is Vrak. How many V's is that? That's V-V-A-R-A-A-K. Vrak. All right, and then using the magic that was taught to them by the dragon, uh, they became the first gatekeepers. When the Delkir came from Zoriat, which is the Plain of Madness, uh, when they showed up in Corvair, the, the gatekeepers sent the Delkir down into Kyber and created these special wards and glyphs, essentially, that kept them there. Okay. That is what the orcs have done. So, in Eberron, orcs are homies. Yeah, no, they're they're all about protection and keeping everyone safe. Yeah, they're they're they they're, feel like rangers. They're good guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now with all three of these different kinds of orcs. No, I'm sorry. They feel like effective rangers. Is there a thing? Uh, you're thinking of the defective rangers, which is everything else. Oh, okay, yeah. my my mistake, my mistake. Now all three of these kinds of orcs get the same stat bonuses and such. They get plus two to strength, plus one to con, dark vision of sixty feet. Uh, they get aggressive, which they can move their speed towards an enemy that you can see or hear as a bonus action. They're one size category larger for push-pull, drag, and carrying capacity. And they are proficient in two of the following skills. Animal handling, insight, intimidation, medicine, nature, perception, and survival. Feels like a ranger to me. Really does, right? Yeah. Uh, the only thing that doesn't is the, the, the ability. There's no dex boost. Sure. Which... You the, don't need it. No. Right? Uh, and that's what I got on orcs. I, I, I like that a lot. It's a fresh take. Yeah. Right? And like, orcs, to me, is high fantasy. When I think swords and sorcerers, orcs isn't far behind that. It's, to me, honestly, it's Warcraft. It is. And I guess that maybe would have been the one of my first... Well, Lord of the Rings would have been your first, wouldn't it? No. I think I played, like, Warcraft 1. Like, Warcraft. Before I ever got into Lord of the Rings. Yeah, wow. But yeah, no, this is a, a fresh take on orcs. You don't see this kind of orc all the time. Uh, they're not the the outlandish, barbarian, yeah. murdery people. No, th they've got an honor to them, it feels like, you know? Yes. These guys are Klingons. Uh, yeah, that's actually not a bad, bad comparison. Uh, but yeah, anyways, after the orcs, we've got shifters. A lot of people call them where touched. Touched where? Oh, keep the clerics away. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and the shifters are believed to be the descendants of humans mating with lycanthropes. Okay. Now, they can't shape change like a changeling. However, they can temporarily enhance their animalistic features. There are four sub-races uh, that each kind of resemble an animal or what animals embody. Okay. Sure, yeah. Now, each one of them has what's called a shifting class feature. They can do this as a bonus action. It lasts up to a minute or until they die or until they revert to normal, which they can do by using another bonus action. Okay. They gain temporary hit points that's equal to their level plus constitution modifier. And they do get a particular bonus that is... Specifically to their sub-race. To their sub-race, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the the first of the four is called Beast Hide. This one embodies like the the bear or boar, any creature that's known for its toughness. Okay, like thick skin and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they get a plus two to con, plus one to strength. They're proficient in athletics, and when they shift, they gain one d six temporary hit points. 
Okay. They also gain plus one AC when they shift. I invoke my ancestral wear armadillo. Yeah, you could, right? This is the kind of thing that you can mash up with your DM, right? Sure, yeah. Uh, the next one is long tooth. These are mainly canine traits. They're associated with predatory animals. You're going to get plus two to strength, plus one to dex. And while you're shifted, you can use your fangs to make an unarmed strike as a bonus action. If it hits, it deals 1d6 plus strength piercing damage. Okay, cool. I like that. That feels really useful for monks. It, it could because be. Because of the unarmed attack and the, their unarmed attacks are magical weapons after a certain level and so on and so forth. Yep. So. Uh, the third one is Swift Stride. These are cat-like. These guys are hard to pin down physically and socially. Uh, they get a plus two to dex and a plus one to charisma. They're proficient in acrobatics. While they're shifted, their speed increases by 10 feet. If a creature ends its turn within five feet of you, you can move as a reaction 10 feet. This does not provoke an attack of opportunity. Good God. But you had to be shifted to do it. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, no, that uh, that could be useful for a monk as well. Yeah, especially with all their crazy movement stuff. But I'm thinking frontline fighter. You put that on a barbarian who runs in, rages, shifts and rages, right? And then beats crap out of one guy. Someone else comes to back him up and he just, out he goes. Gone, yep. I like it. That's really cool. Uh, and the last one is wild hunt. These guys are always alert, they're insightful, and they're excellent hunters. They get a plus two to wisdom, plus one to dex, they're proficient with survival, and while they're shifted, they get advantage on wisdom checks, and no creature can gain advantage against them if they are within 30 feet, unless you are incapacitated. So your archers 60 feet away could get advantage, Yeah. but if the bad guy's within 30 feet, it is impossible to gain advantage on a wild hunt shifter. Any other questions about shifters? No, you know what these remind me of, though? Are you familiar with DC's Vixen? No. Okay, anybody that's watching, I forget. I think it's one of the Arrowverse series. Big in the Justice League stuff. She's kind of one of the B-side versions of, of, a, of a hero. She has a little totem, and the totem allows her to take an aspect of an animal. She can do one animal at a time, and it's and it's her power. She doesn't grow wings, but she flies like an eagle, right? She doesn't grow um, like thick fur, but she becomes tougher to hit. But she will get fangs and claws and cat eyes and stuff. And so she gets this kind of like slightly physical aspect and becomes animalistic for a short period of time. That's really what this feels like to me. Yeah, makes sense to me. Uh, the last race we have... Is one of my favorites, the Warforged. Of course. Okay. Uh, now, these guys were built to fight during the last war, and originally they were autonomous. Like, they were just kind of mindless warriors, right? We do a deep dive into this in episodes one and three. But, I mean, now they've been improved, and, you know, the, the House Kenneth, who's created them, uh, has enhanced them. So now that they can actually feel pain and emotion and so on. All right. This is what Data always wanted to be. I think it's freaking cruel to program robots to feel pain. That is horrible. That, that, that is a crime against a sentient creature. They're not robots, though. They would have been construct automatons before they were given this life. They are specifically not constructs. Anymore. Anymore, yes, correct. But that's what I mean. Like I think that's that's horrible that they would do that. Yeah, I, I yeah. One of the things that always bothered me was in Java's Palace when you see droids getting tortured and they're screaming. And I'm like, someone gave them nerve endings... And the ability to recognize pain. And the ability to scream. Why would you do that to a poor robot? Why is R2 screaming every time he gets shot? So the nerve endings thing. Like the the personification of artificial into 
whatever you want to call organic. it. Organic. Organic, yeah. Uh, what they've done is they have created, in, in the Warforged, they have root-like cords that are infused with alchemical <laughs> fluids. We do. They, uh, these serve as muscles, okay? And around them are, are um, steel and wooden frame, essentially. Okay. Okay. Uh, and, I mean, they've got armor plating that kind of creates the, the shell of them on the outside. Sure. Which I thought that was a really cool explanation for how these things work. I think that's neat. I don't need much more than that. I don't want much more than that. Just just a wizard did it. Like, Kenneth did it, and I'm happy with it, right? Yeah. When you can I, hand wave this for me. I'm, I'm happy. Uh, a different Eberron campaign I played where or I had my guys looking to figure out what the creation forges were and how they worked and what they were all about. And this stopping there with what they've explained allows me to fill in some blanks later. And that's one thing that Eberron has done so, so well. Especially this book for 5th edition. Yeah. Uh, now, like we said, they are not constructs. They are living humanoids, so they do benefit from resting and healing. They are still kind of learning how to re- act in society. They're, they haven't quite figured it out, so they can be kind of weird and have some quirks. Uh, and then they actually have a table in the book for Warforged quirks. It's a D8 table. Uh, one of them is you often misread emotional cues uh, you try to apply wartime dis- discipline to every situation, or war is the only thing that makes sense to you, and you are always looking for a fight. So there are a bunch of different kind of... Sounds like these guys have PTSD. I mean, y- yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, they were literally bred for war, and now there's no war. Yeah. Yikes. Uh, now, like I said, they do benefit from resting. They don't sleep, and magic can't put them to sleep. However, they do have to take long rests uh, and remain inactive for six hours. During this time, they are still aware and can see and hear as normal, but they're going to be kind of remaining motionless, except for when they go to incorporate armor into their body. They don't just put armor on like a regular creature does. They incorporate it into them. Okay. okay. Now, putting armor on in like your installing warforged... installing a, a hubcap? Essentially. Yeah. Uh, when they don and doff armor, this takes an hour for each one, and they can do this while they are long resting. All right, so that's kind of the only thing they can do during these rests. They are also resistant to poison. Uh, they have advantage on saving throws against being poisoned. They don't eat, drink, or breathe. They are immune to disease, and you get to pick one skill that you're proficient in. So you get to pick one. You know, it was this Warforged was made for surviving. This Warforged was made for athletics. This Warforged was made for perceiving, okay? And I don't think I mentioned this yet. They do get plus two to con and plus one to any other stat. Cool. I like that. All right. Uh, And that's what I got on, on the races. Any For the races themselves, we get a lot of really neat dualities with them mm-hmm. right like we get we're getting quirks we're getting one that's possessed one that can cha- uh, shape change one that can uh change their their i guess two that can shape change one that shifts and one that changes yeah they change features you know like the, yeah. the shifters will gain long teeth or your thicker hide or whatever i feel like i would give them advantage on performance to blend into a crowd if they shift from one to another like if everyone's looking for you and you turn into your wearboard shifted side they may walk right by you in a crowd right enough of a facial feature difference that you would not be easily found unless they knew you could shift well i mean a shifter looks very much like a shifter they don't blend in when they haven't shifted no but if you were to run into a group of shifters 
Yeah, it could be hard to pick one out of a crowd of shifters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just because their facial features are moving a little bit, right? So yeah, but it is very it's subtle, particular. Yeah, yeah. No, I there's a lot there. I really, really like the races here. It's interesting that we don't have a variant for dwarves. So there are a couple of other things in the book that I just didn't want to Muddy spend time on today. There is uh, how the Roarhold dwarves interact with the world. There is how the the gnomes of Zalargo interact with the world. Uh, we've gone over it before about the half elves who like to be called the, the Korovar. Korovar. So like there are other things in here, but, but there's no mechanical. War. No, there's no mechanical difference. It's just how they interact with the world. Okay, you're not going to find different stats. You're not going to find different abilities. So you could come to this book for you a unique character build for your own homebrew campaign and those are the ones we've talked about so far the other ones have details specifically for eberron yeah mechanically you're picking up a different book to get that stat block yes okay yeah yeah the dwarf section is like a paragraph or two and it'll be the same for all the rest of tieflings and dragonborn and all that shit exactly the dragonborn has a paragraph about how they got displaced by the dakani empire and now are in kobara fighting the you know the the people there the lizard folk yeah. Okay, cool. Right. The next part. The Dragon Mart houses sub-races. They're, they act as sub-races, but they're technically not sub-races. Right. So, if I'm not mistaken, in 3.5, any race could have any Dragon Mark. That's right. That is not the case anymore. Uh, if you are going to be part of a particular house, you need to be that particular race. Now, a couple of the houses have a, like... I have a couple of races that they can... It's the uh, mark of finding how Thrash can be human or, or half-orc. Exactly. Uh, so I'm just going to bust through them real quick. Each one is just a couple of pieces of information about them. Uh, so the first one is House Madani. This is the House of Detection. These are half-elves. The sub-race here gets a plus two to wisdom, plus one to any other stat. Uh, and you get to add a d4 to any investigation or insight checks. And they can cast Detect Magic, Detect Poison or Disease once per long rest. In addition, they do get an expanded spell list. Right. All of them are going to get an, ex- an expanded spell list except for the Aberrant Dragon Mark. Correct. So the one for um, House Madani, if you have the Mark of Detection, you get different spells at different spell le- or di- different spells when you unlock certain spell levels. So the first level spells that you would get are Detect Evil and Good and Detect Poison and Disease. These get added to your spell list. At second level, Detect Thoughts, Find Traps. Then you get Clairvoyance and Non-Detection. Fourth level is Arcane Eye and Divination. And the last one is Legend Lore. A lot of this makes sense for Detection. You're getting things like Clairvoyance, Arcane Eye, um, Find Traps, Detect Thoughts. Like It really all thematically fits nicely. Yep. And that's going to be the way it works for all of them. I think they all get... Two spells at each one of these levels, except the fifth level where you only get one. Sure. Uh, the next one was House Therashk, and this is the House of Finding. These are half-orcs and humans. You get plus two to Wisdom, plus one to Con, Dark Vision up to 60 feet. You can add one D4 to Perception and Survival Checks, and you can cast Hunter's Mark uh, or Locate Object once per long rest. In addition, you got their spell list. You get Fairy Fire and Long Strider. And again, this is Mark of Finding, so thematically it's all really nice. Locate animals or plants, and then you also get Locate Object. The next level, third level, is Clairvoyance, Speak with Plants, then Divination and Locate Creature, and finally Commune with Nature. That makes sense. These guys are from the Shadow Marches. Tracks. All right. (laughs) I get it. Yeah. 
the next one is House Vidalis. They are the Mark of Handling. These guys are human. They get a plus two to Wisdom and plus one to any other stat. They get a... You get to add 1d4 to any Animal Handling or Nature check. And they can cast Animal Friendship or Speak with Animal once per long rest. However, starting at third level, you can target a beast or monstrosity with these spells as long as that beast or monstrosity has an intelligence of three or less. So there's our animal friendship and speak with animals. Yep. Beast sense and calm emotions. Beacon of hope, conjure animals. Aura of life, dominate beast. And then awaken, which is crazy that you get awaken. Yep. The idea that you just like, boom, that tree can now talk. Mm-hmm. That's nuts to me. Uh, now, I got to just specify here, the first level spells that you get there are Animal Friendship and Speak with Animal. Those are the ones I spoke about. The ones I'm talking about is you can cast these... Without using a spell slot. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, the next one is House Jurasco. They're the House house of Healing. Uh, these guys are halflings. They get plus one to Wisdom. They also get a D4 to Medicine checks or any checks that require a Herbalism kit. Okay. They can cast Cure Wounds once per long rest... Or, starting at level 3, they can use Lesser Restoration instead. And this is there without a, a, a spell slot. Spell. Yeah. Right. They also got into their expanded spell list. They will get Cure Wounds and Healing Word, and then Lesser Restoration, Prayer of Healing, then Aura of Vitality and Mass Healing Word, which is nuts. Mm-hmm. Aura of Purity and then Aura of Life, and finally Greater Restoration. You yep. just automatically know it. Yep. Uh, the next one is House Galanda. These guys are the House of Hospitality. They, as well, are halflings. They get a plus one to Charisma. You get to add a 1d4 to any Persuasion check, uh, or a check that you would be using Brewer's Supplies or Cook's Utensils. <clears throat> without a, without expending a spell slot, they can cast Prestidigitation, or Purify Food or Drink, or Unseen Servant once per long rest. That's cool. Okay, so your expended spell list is Good Berry and Sleep, Aid and Calm Emotions, Create Food and Water, and Liaman's Tiny Hut, which is fucking huge. Yeah. It's just something you can do. Um, Aura of Purity and Mordenkainen's Private Sanctum, which is even crazier, and then Hallow. Uh, next up, we got House Kenneth. They are the House of Making. These guys are humans. They get plus one to intelligence, plus one to any other stat. Uh, they get to add a D4 to Arcana checks or any check that uses artisan tools. And they get Mending or Magic Weapon once per long rest without using a spell slot. And their spells are Identify, Tensor's Floating Disc, Continual Flame, Magic Weapon, Conjure Barrage, an Elemental Weapon, Fabricate and Stone Shape, and then Creation. Uh, next up we've got House Orion. They are the House of Passage. These guys are human. They get a plus two to dex, plus one to any other stat. Their speed increases to 35 feet. They get 1d4 to acrobatics checks or to any other check that requires them to operate a land vehicle of some sort. And they get to cast Misty Step once per long rest. They get Expeditious Retreat and Jump, Misty Step and Pass Without Trace, Blink and Phantom Steed, Dimension Door and Freedom of Movement, and Teleportation Circle. These guys are a nightmare to DM against. Yeah, they just kind of get around and go wherever they want. That would be really hard to track them if they were a monk. They just kind of go everywhere and can do it in any way they want. Yeah. Uh, Next up, we've got House Civis. This is the House of Scribing. These guys are gnomes, and they get a plus one to charisma. They also get to add 1d4 to any history check or check that requires the use of calligrapher supplies. 
And once per long rest, they get to cast message or comprehend language. Starting at level three, this could be magic mouth instead. Oh, cool. I like that. So what they get is comprehend languages and illusory script, then animal messenger and silence, sending and tongues, arcane eye and confusion, and then finally dream. Uh, up next, we have House Deneath. These are the Sentinel House. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they are human. They get a plus two to con and plus one to wisdom. They get to add 1d4 to any insight or perception roll. They can cast shield once per long rest. And if a creature within five feet is hit with an attack, they can swap places and be hit with the attack instead once per day. That's crazy. Yeah. I love that. That's pretty neat. Yeah, that's going to stack nice with a protection paladin. Yep. So they get, as far as the spell list goes, Compelled Duel, Shield of Faith, then Warding Bond and Zone of Truth, then Counter Spell and Protection from Enemy, Death Ward and Guardian of Faith, and finally Big B's Hand. Uh, next up, we've got House Fiarlin and House Therani. These are the Mark of Shadow houses. These guys are both elven. They both get plus one to Charisma, and they get to add a D4 to any stealth or performance check. They can cast Minor Illusion once per long rest. This, starting at third level, could be Invisibility instead. They're going to get Disguise Self and Silent Image, Darkness and Pass Without Trace, Clairvoyance and Major Image, Greater Invisibility and Hallucinatory Terrain, and then Mislead. Uh, next up, we've got House Lyrander. Uh, these guys have the Mark of Storm. They are half-elves. They get a plus two to charisma, plus one to dex. They get one d4 to acrobatics or any check that requires navigator's tools. They get resistance to lightning damage, and they can cast gust once per long rest. At third level, this changes to gust of wind. Are you familiar with the spell gust? I am, yeah. Okay, because they give it to you right in the section in the book. It is so important to these guys to be able to blow wind around. Yeah. They get, as spells, Featherfall and Fog Cloud. That makes so much freaking sense. Of course. Yeah. Gust of Wind and Levitate, Sleet Storm and Wind Wall, Conjure Minor Elemental and Control Weather, and Conjure Elemental. Uh, The last one we've got is House Kandarak. These guys are the House of Warding. These guys are dwarves. Uh, They get plus one to intelligence. They get to add a D4 to investigation checks or checks that require thieves tools. And they can cast Alarm or mage armor once per long rest, and starting at third level, this could be arcane lock. So what they get is alarm and armor of Agathis, then arcane lock and knock, then glyph of warding and magic circle, then Leoman's secret chest and Mordenkainen's faithful hound, and finally anti-life shell. So it's really important for everybody here to note that these replace your sub-races, not your race. So even though you are a dwarf, It will usually say you get one or two little bonuses, and then in addition, you get, and then you have to choose a sub-race. That initial blurb still applies. You still need the player's handbook to see the first half of what you get, right? You'll notice that we're not talking about the fact that, oh, the halflings are small-sized, right? Because that's in the player's handbook that's already there. Yeah. So this is considered a sub-race mechanically, and it's not going to stack on top of a a ghost-wise halfling with the mark of uh of healing that doesn't matter it doesn't matter what kind of halfling they are they are a halfling with this mark so these override the subclass choice that you would normally pick you can technically still be a high elf if you want for as far as your looks go or your 
your backstory or whatever, but it doesn't matter because you get the dragon mark instead. Uh, up next, we've got the background that we get, the, the the new background that comes in Eberron, and this is the house agent. Uh, these guys have sworn fealty to a particular house. Their main task is to serve as the eyes of the house that they are employed by. You don't have to have a dragon mark to be a house agent. Now, if you are a house agent, your house could call on you at any time. This could be beneficial or detrimental to what you're trying to accomplish in your campaign. Dear Dungeon Masters, take note. Yes. Uh, the proficiencies you get with this background are investigation and persuasion. Now, there is a house proficiency table. Uh, so, for instance, if you are a part of House Kenneth, you would gain proficiency in alchemist supplies and tinker's tools. Okay. Uh, house Lyrander, you would get navigator's tools and vehicles, air and sea. Yeah, uh, all right. Yeah, I get it. That right? So, and yeah. there's, there's a, a table of it right in the book here. Sure. Um, for equipment, you get fine clothes, a house signet ring, ID papers, and 20 gold. Pretty standard. There's also a house roll table in the book as well. This just tells you if you're there to investigate, or you're an investigator for the house, uh, security for the house, uh, you know, do you explore for the house, that kind of thing. Okay, yeah. Uh, now, you also get house connections. This means that you can get food and lodging for you and your party anywhere that your house has an outpost. Okay. And they will give you supplies for your missions and provide you with transportation if they're able. They got the tables here for personality traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws, but that's pretty that's standard, standard stuff. Yeah. I'm not going to go over that. Any other questions about the background? What's interesting here is that it's, it's one background that's listed, but there's really 12 backgrounds that are in there. Yeah, one for each house. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the last thing I wanted to cover today, I was going to do a quick little rundown breakdown of something we haven't covered yet in any of the episodes. But it got a little bigger than I thought it would, okay? That's okay. This is going to replace the monster breakdown that we had, so... Yeah? All right. Good. Uh, and the thing I'm going to cover is transportation. Now, the thing that is unique to Eberron, well, I mean among many things, is transportation. You can cross an entire continent in less than a week because of these different forms of transportation that exists. Without teleportation or any yeah. of that shit. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Lightning rails can go as far in an hour as a horse can walk in a day. And in addition to that, you've got elemental vessels. Now, these elemental vessels were created by gnome artificers that were working in conjunction with House Kenneth specialists. Through this collaboration, they were able to develop a set of techniques that bind elementals to these vessels. Now, to bind them, you need to have arcane skill. You need to have delicate engineering, like it, it, things that these guys are good at. But you also need a kyber dragon shard. What you're doing is you're taking an elemental and you're binding it to this particular dragon shard. Now, in order to construct one of these vessels, you need two kinds of dragon shards. One, the kyber, which, which you need like a large one of the highest quality. Uh, and this is, again, where you bind your element to. But you also need a Sybaris Dragon Shard. And this is needed to craft the helm of the vessel. This is for the navigation purposes. So Kyber's binding, Sybaris is navigation. And we combine them together. Okay, yeah. I'm picking it up. Now, what they have done is they have created what's called an elemental matrix. All right? Now, each vessel has one. It is an invisible arcane matrix. This essentially is a magical essence that goes from the containment chamber to the binding struts that, and then it runs through the rest of the hull of the ship. Now, the matrix comes alive when a kyber dragon shard, which holds a bound elemental, 
gets placed in this containment chamber. I'm thinking of Ghostbusters where you've got the trap and then the big containment center that's in the that's in the basement. They plug the trap in and it puts the, the ghost they've captured into this thing and then and it frees up the dragon shard? Yes. Okay. S- sort of. Now, when the elemental is unsuppressed, it emerges from the dragon shard and flows through the matrix. Okay. Okay? And this is when you're going to get it going through... Are they one with the matrix? Uh, I mean, they make the matrix. Right? It's, okay. Like, it, it exists when they're not there, when they're suppressed, but when they're unsuppressed, they're flowing through it. And this is when you're going to see the elemental going through the ring uh, that is connected by the binding struts all around these airships. Okay. Okay. And this is true for lightning rails and for... Sort of. I'll go to lightning rails in a minute. This is true for airships and house Lyrander... Ships. Ocean-going ships. Yeah, ocean vessels. Yeah. Uh, Now... A dragon-marked pilot is required to command the elemental, and the pilot can suppress the elemental to force it back into the containment chamber and reside back into the dragon shard. But when it's unsuppressed, it comes out and communicates with the pilot. The pilot gives it instructions and tells the elemental what to do. But, interestingly enough, another person can communicate with the elemental while it is being unsuppressed. So just because the pilot's there telling it what to do doesn't necessarily mean other people can't as well. Now, you would do this by using a dominate monster spell. Sure, all right. Okay. Or a high enough persuasion or intimidation check uh, against the elemental could work as well. Now, if the pilot thinks that some fishy's going on, it's just going to suppress the shit out of that elemental and send it back into the containment chamber. But this is going to make it so that if the pilot dies, you're not screwed. Well, most airships have a minimum of two pilots. Sure, but I'm thinking about sky piracy. Skyracy. Close enough. Yes. Th- that that's what I'm thinking about here. The idea that you can have either your your party has got an airship and there are pirates coming to take it and steal it from you, or there are mutineers, or you are trying to fight the people that are running the... Like, you've got uh, beef with House Lyrander for whatever reason your campaign. Like, you can wrestle for control for one of these, which is really interesting. That means that you're not fighting with pilots, you're fighting with the elemental, so... Uh, Now, the elemental can be freed. All you have to do is smash the kyber dragon shard that it is bound within... That is probably harder than it sounds. Yeah, they don't give you mechanics on how to smash. Uh, well, you got to get into the <laughs> locked room, and then once you're in the locked room, you got to break through the potentially adamantine containment chamber in order to get in to get this dragon shard and then smash the dragon shard. But I can guarantee you that House Kandarak has created alarms that are going to go off if anybody gets in there. Like, this is a multi-house collaboration that made this happen this is not going to be easy to undo okay okay for those of you who do want to learn how to smash mail me oh uh now specifically to airships these are operated all by house lyrander these things are rare they've only been around for about eight years or so they are made out of sore wood which comes from Aranol, and it is highly, highly protected by the elves. Sorewood is S-O-A-R? Yes. So it's not like like you have an owie? No. Okay. If you have sorewood, you should see a doctor. The elves of Aranol only allow so much sorewood 
to come off of the island in a in a year. Okay. Like they really control it. So airships are again quite rare. But they need to be made out of sorewood because when the elemental gets suppressed back into the containment chamber, you've lost your propulsion, but it doesn't mean that your ship is now going to crash. You are soaring still. This is the same stuff they use for Skyway in Sharn. Uh, you would find sky coaches that maybe are made out of sorewood. I bet I bet that there would be elevators and sky coaches in Sharn that would be made out of sorewood. It could be, but again, this is a really... You're going to find this only in like Upper Central, if you do. Yeah, it's really rare. Exactly. It's okay. not... It's not unheard of but it is uncommon now these airships they look like ocean going ships and they specifically only use air or fire elementals and they have to be piloted by a dragon marked air of house lyrander makes sense okay uh the pilot uses the mark of the storm to control the vessel through a wheel of wind and water we spoke to jed about one of these yeah he tried to pitch one of them but we had no use for it yeah i don't i'm not dragon marked now, control of the airship requires constant attention. That's why they have two pilots. The binding struts that go around the outside, this is kind of what creates the ring of the elemental when they're unsuppressed. Uh, because the one that sticks out the bottom is uh, low, these things can't really land. Sure. Right? Uh, so instead, when they get to, like, Sharn, for instance, there are sky docks. Yeah. But these things... And that's, that's problematic for some places throughout the world. Is there? You go to Sarlona, but there's nowhere for you to dock your ship, right? Yeah, you can. Because when it gets to smaller places, uh, they do have rope ladders and things like that to disembark. Or in case there's an emergency, you can, again, get off with these rope ladders. Okay. Okay. Uh, so there is, there is contingency. It is possible, but it's very uncommon. Okay. All right. Uh, the airships can move at about 20 miles per hour and can carry up to 30 tons. That's a lot for medieval stuff, right? You're you're dealing with... I mean, it sounds slow, but it really freaking isn't comparatively. No, that's pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, that's, that's what it is for airships. For the ocean-going ships, it's essentially the same thing as an airship, only it uses a water elemental and it floats on water, not in air. Makes yep. sense. Yep. All right, uh, it has a speed of 10 miles an hour, and I assume it wouldn't need to be made of sorewood. Sure. Okay, next up, we've got the Orion Lightning Rail. Now, the Lightning Rail used to span all of Corvair. I just, I'm going to sidebar you for just a second here, and I'm going to make a little Eberron module, and I'm going to call it Murder on the Orion Express. I love it. <laughs> that is great. All <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but when the morning happened, it kind of split the continent in half. Yep. And that kind of put an end to the cross-lightning rail. The cross-continental lightning rail? Yeah, exactly. So now it's got the eastern circuit and the western circuit. That's fair. There is talk of reestablishing the link between east and west, but there are considerable challenges in the way. We discussed that very briefly in the uh, Dragon Mark Houses episodes. Yeah, you would essentially have to go through Dargoon, which might not necessarily... Well, no, they're hiring adventurers to go into the Moreland to figure this shit out because they want to reestablish it, right? That's a major, a major thing that they're doing. Yeah. The lightning rail is a series of connected carts that float about five feet off the ground. Each cart is essentially a wagon that doesn't have wheels, but has what's called a conductor stone embedded in the underside of it. There is a corresponding set of stones on the ground that interact with the stones on the carts to make a rail. Cool. Okay. The lightning arcs between the stones 
which gives it its name. The vessel at the front of the lightning rail has a bound air elemental, and this is called the crew cart. A lightning rail can travel up to 30 miles an hour, so it's quicker than an airship. Yeah. Uh, And the elemental appears as a ring around the crew cart. Each train can carry about 10 cards without being overburdened. Sure. Uh, However, most trains, sorry, all trains, carry two crew carts, one at the front, one at the back. That is because there's no way to U-turn on these things. One of them is the elemental that goes forwards and the elemental that does the return trip. So they have two elementals in them. Yes, but the only the one in the front is they, the one being used. So, so they're always pulling. They're never pushing. Never, right? So And one gets a rest between directions. Yeah, okay? okay. Now there are a whole bunch of other different kinds of cards and they actually give you um, little gridded maps in the in the book here uh, for, for some of the different cards. Okay. There is a helm, galley, a standard cart, steerage cart, first class cart, dining cart, sleeping cart, cargo cart, passenger cart, crew cart, and a lounge cart. So yeah, yeah. do what you want with it, right? You sure. guys know how trains work, I hope. I have a question. Yeah. We, we talked about pilots only for the, for the airships. Sure. Does the lightning rail have a conductor? Yes. Ah, you see what I did? No. Lightning conductor? Never mind. Fuck you, Dave. Yeah, they're uh, super. Um, there are doors between all the carts. Yeah. All right, so you can move up and down between them all. Can you get on top of the lightning rails? Like, are these enclosed? Actually, yes. Uh, now, House Orion, Dragon Mark Dares, helm the crew cart, and they do this by standing on the top underneath the binding ring. So their their interaction is up on top of the, the crew cart. They're just standing there, feeling the wind whip across their face? I mean, they could put a piece of glass up, but... Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. The pilot, or conductor, I suppose, isn't just there to look pretty and make the elemental react. He also chooses which direction to take when the the rail splits. Sure. Okay, so he is quite important. He also commands the speed. How fast can they go? Uh, 30 miles an hour. 30, so they're faster than airships. Yeah, yeah. But they're stuck on a track, and they might have to go the long way. You could take a shortcut with an airship. Exactly. And with these uh, conductor stones on the ground, what if a couple went missing? Yeah. Right? I don't know. Um, And, of course, all of these trains have stewards to attend the various needs of passengers and cargo. Now, most of these lightning rail stations are located outside of the towns. They are not going to be, like, right downtown, middle, you know, which, I mean, that tracks. Right. I get it. Huh? <laughs> That's twice. Same joke, different joke. Right? Uh, the pilots are prohibited from stopping except at stations. That makes sense just for, like, safety reasons. Right. Most of the stations, because they are run by House Orion, look similar. Okay? However, some might have special features. Like, for instance... If you were to stop at the station at Gatherhold in the Talenta Plains, they're going to have somewhere where you can keep your dinosaurs and board them. They're going to have dinosaur boarding cool. at the train station, right? So they're, you know, safe yeah. keepings there. Uh, and the other neat feature about the trains is that they unload cargo from one side of the train and passengers from the other. So that is just kind of a standardized system. That makes sense. The, the, the upper class don't like to disembark with the kegs of ale. Sure. Right. Now, they did give us another neat thing in the book that I wanted to go over real quick, and I thought we could have some fun with. They give us a table for mysterious passengers, and this table takes up an entire page, and it's a D100 table. So I snuck in 
D100 into the room here. Look at you. And I think we should maybe take a turn rolling a couple. Sure. Just to read them off of the list here. All right, I'll go first. All right. Uh, 66. 66. A human from Ayundere obsessively checks and rechecks their traveling papers. Hmm. Why? Hmm. Sketchy. Sketchy. You know they're from Ayundere? How do you know they're from Ayundere? Do they have a seal? Isn't that where a, a lot of the espionage is as well? It could be. This is where you're going to get a lot of casters from. Are these guys, like, dangerous? What's what's the deal? Right? What do you got? 45. A halfling from House Galanda offers food and drink to all passengers except elves or half-elves. How many times have we said in this series, as in this series, Eberron is racist? Yeah, that's not a nice place. Uh, I I was reading that. I was like, oh, well, that's really nice. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, one more each because sure. I, I like rolling dice. Uh, I got fifteen. A cloaked figure moves slowly past, pausing briefly upon catching sight of the party. Hmm. Right. That could mean absolutely nothing. He just maybe saw your shiny sword and was all like, oh, that's a nice shiny sword. Or, yeah, perhaps he's, not. He's part of the dragon below. Right? Yeah. I got... Eight. Eight. Ooh. A half-elf sits down, says, beware, the wolf howls at midnight, and leaves without further comment. That would have been a really, really cool, mysterious passenger to run across on the train during the Call of Cthulhu uh, <laughs> miniseries on the way into town. Yeah, the Deep Dark Radiance. Yes. Yeah. Had, had that happened, I probably just would have left. <laughs> right? And the nurse would still be alive today. Potentially. Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go check it out. <laughs> so, other episodes. Um, that That's a lot of fun. There were a couple of other kinds of transportation that we talked about previously as well, which was um, dragon shard based. They were the coaches. Do you remember this? Do they use the earth elementals to get around quickly? They don't. They don't use elementals. It's dragon shard powered. It is. It's house Orion still and oh, dragon yeah, yeah, shard yeah, yeah, powered yeah, 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 yeah. wagons essentially go out there, right? Yeah, this was in the second Dragon Mark episode. Yes, and so while everyone, anyone can use these, those with dragon marks from house Orion get faster ones. So you can just hire a car to take you. Yeah. The uh, the. The thing with House Orion and House Lyranders, they both do transportation. Orion is land-based. Lyrander is everything else. Is sea and air. Yeah. Uh, and also, House Orion has teleportation circles all over the place in major cities. And they need, you know, high members of the Dragonmark House. Dragonmark members to be able to use them and to send people. It's not cheap. So this is a transportation. The reason we wanted to tack this on to the player options episode is because everybody these days knows about the infernal machines from from Avernus. Yeah. Right? And everyone's like, oh, soul coins. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Dragon shards. Yeah. Dragon shards and elementals. It's not going to take much to find one of these crazy airships in a long-lost keep that is from a wizard that you never thought about. And you can bring that into your own campaign. So sure, I really like the idea of you using all of these... People are going to bring artificers over, right? And they're going to put it into their own homebrew campaigns, or they're going to drop them into Forgotten Realms somehow. They're going to... They want to play an alchemist, that'll happen, right? They're, and they're going to do it for Changelings and for Kalistar and whatnot as well. There are other options besides the ones that were already given in Volos for, for goblins and 
hobgoblins and bugbears and orcs. So there's another cool flavor. But then there's these houses, these dragon marks. They're so much fun. And you should really look into it because even if it's your homebrew campaign, bug your DM. Can we put this house in here? Because I want to be able to fly airships. I want to be able to cast gust. I want to be able to do all these crazy other things that do technically exist and people don't see them as viable options because I don't think they know about them. Yeah, it's it's a little... When you say player options, yeah. everyone says, oh, the three artificers, the four new races, and the background, and that's what this... No, this there's book. so much more Yeah, there's yeah. lots in there, right? So Yeah, and again, really we did not cover everything. No, there's... There's so much in this book. Every page has so many ideas in it that it would be impossible to cover all of the 14 episodes we set aside. you got to keep in mind that there's also little, like, excerpts from the, the Cronenberg Chronicle and, you know, the, the Sharn Inquisitor. Did, did and, like, you say the Cronenberg Chronicle? Maybe. Cronenberg Chronicle. <laughs> yeah. uh, the Cronenberg Chronicle is just horrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't get near a teleportation circle. <laughs> um, yeah, right? Uh, <laughs> Uh, that's how you got the first Kalashtar. A quarry went in, and a human went in, and a Kalashtar came out. There we go. Yeah. All right, so the last thing that I want to say to you, Dave, is what kind of character do you want to build out of all these? What is the race, and what is the the artificer subclass that interests you the most here? Let's roll dice and, and see before we end this episode. Go see Jed. I got a two. Oh, I got a five. Didn't think I was going to go first with a five. Um... I mean, for for the race, I love Warforged. I would play a Warforged in every campaign that I ever play in. Yeah. I, I like them. But, you know, you do got to mix it up sometimes. So I suppose I'd probably get something that is common in most other places, but a little bit different. Maybe I'd look at a bugbear. That's kind of a neat one. Yeah. I have always fought them, but I've never really had them as an NPC even. Yeah. Right, so that that is interesting to me. Uh, as far as the artificer, I'm going artillerist. Yeah, I, like I, I want to blow stuff up. Yeah, cool. Um, for me, I gotta say the hobgoblin, the ability to just look around for the number of allies that I have. Like, okay, all right, up to five. Up to five doesn't matter. That's a plus five, right? Yeah. That's that's useful. And I know it's once per long rest, but still. Yeah. So I really like that, and I, I just like hobgoblins, especially because they get the boost to intelligence. So I'm going to take that for my Artificer. And I'm going to go with the Battlesmith. The Battlesmith is really fun. I talk, I wax poetic in the other episode, episode 56 of the regular podcast. I wax poetic about how great the Alchemist is. But the more I think about the Battlesmith, the more I like it. And I'm not in it for the Steel Defender. I'm in it for all of the other crazy shit that it can do. Yeah. Right. But, oh, sidebar, if you're going to have a Steel Defender, do not think dog, think monkey. Because they have opposable thumbs and can carry weapons. You can put armor on them. Steel armor on a steel defender. No, it's, it's, it's studded leather. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> no, but really, that is that is a viable option for this. Um, and they often say, you know, druids will wild shape into gorillas so that they can continue to use their armor and weapons as gorillas because they get opposable thumbs. Think about that for your for your steel defender. Because it says it can be really anything you want it to be. I don't think they can fly or swim, but I think that's it. Anything else? No, that's going to wrap up our series on Eberron. We're going to go see Jed one final time and find out what the future holds. The other thing I wanted to bring up, just as a quick little note at the end here, is 
Uh, I was looking online yesterday, and I saw that uh, Keith Baker, who created Eberron, yeah, created um, a thing on the DMs Guild. Yes, he's got a new book out. It has more. It's it's got ten thousand le- ten thousand words more than than the Eberron book from Wizards. Yeah, it's called Exploring Eberron. I think it is. Yeah, and uh, it has so much more. It gets into other creatures and their stat blocks and what you can do with some of these there classes. There are lots more player options and, and they've got more subclasses and more sub-races. And right, we also didn't cover anything out of the what is it, Wayfarer's Guide to Eberron? Yeah, which is fairly obsolete. There is conflicting information and it's overrun or it's overwritten by the stuff out of Rising from the Last War. Sure, but there is we've only been covering this one book. There is more out there. Yes. Now, the stuff on DMs Guild is considered third party. It is not official. You're not going to be able to pull it into an adventure league, for example. You're going to need to double check with your DM before you can use anything out of that. But you should be talking to your DM before you use anything beside the player's handbook in the first place. Right? So, there are some really cool options overall for this entire campaign setting. Dave, you've done an amazing job taking us through this. You have done a great job derailing my every effort. It's like I'm taking away the conducting stones from underneath you. I will not miss your jokes about your bar. My bar! I love my bar. Regularly. On this podcast. Anyway, this entire series, as well as other series on role-playing games, are available on the It's a Mimic feed on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and lots of other podcast apps. So don't forget to follow or subscribe on whatever app you're listening to. Also, check out recent episodes on www.itsamimic.com and feel free to support us by hitting that donate button. Thanks for listening to this episode of It's a Mimic, Touring the Multiverse. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook or you can find me on the subreddit r slash It's a Mimic. Thanks again for tuning into this series. I look forward to doing another series on a different campaign setting uh, in the future. If you guys are looking for more information about Eberron or Artificers in general, uh, we do have uh, episodes on the regular podcast that cover these topics. Go and check them out. Thanks again for tuning in. And before we go, let's go check in with Jed. Yeah, one more time. We got to say goodbye before we move on, right? Exactly. Jed? It doesn't look like he's here. That's that's weird. This isn't like Jed. All of his shit is gone, too. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. What's this? There's a letter. Here. What does it say? Dear Adam and Dave. Hey, things have gotten a little too hot here, if you know what I mean. Remember that spell sink I tried to sell you down at the docks? Well, it got me a little attention from the uh, kind of people who tend to interfere with an independent businessman, like my own good self. The Sharn Watch was keeping an eye on me close enough, but since those uh, special, we'll say, items accidentally fell into my lap last week, even the Sentinel Marshals are looking for yours truly. And uh, now that House Thrashk has got his monstrous buddies on my tail, and the investigators of House Madani have been following my sources and asking a little bit too many questions, I figured last night was the right time for me to pack up and catch the nearest lightning rail out of town. But then I started hearing voices, and now I can feel the eyes watching me. The eyes from deep in Kyber. 
Fellas, I think I pissed off the Delk here. I can hear them whispering in my fucking brain. Now I gotta get as far away as fucking possible. I got a friend down in the Corenberg Chronicle who knows a guy at Stormreach who can get me into a secret one-way passage to the Rorolds. From there, I'm gonna hop realms and find someone who can protect me. Maybe a hero, maybe some kind of planeswalker or god. I don't know yet. We'll see. But I heard this little place called Theros, and apparently the gods there, they fucking love helping people out. Now, if you ever end up on some sort of odyssey to Theros, you better look me up. I'll be the one drinking coffee bean juice in the marketplace of the capital city, praying to whoever wants the slickest salesman of Evron to found the most extrubious church this side of Mabar. Hey, travel safely, fellas. You two are the best friends I ever had. I think kindly of our times in the dumpster together. Yours truly, Jed. That's... that's really sad, actually. Think we should go find him and help him? So Stormreach? Uh, he knew someone at the Cornberg Chronicle. Let's go to the Moorholds. I got a buddy. Alright, alright, let's go, let's go. 